Welcome to the Super Sexy Podcast, where every other week we get together to speculate as to the sex lives of superheroes. It's locker room talk for nerds, geeks, fanboys, and any and all aficionados of pop culture. I'm your host, the world's first hetero sapien superior and a member of Generation Sex, Matthew J. Theria. With me as always during this age of apocalypse is a man who tests positive for the X gene but negative for COVID, Mr. Andy Taylor. We are the Super Sexy Podcasters. How's it going, Andy? Good. How you doing? Not too bad, all things considered. Today's topic, X-Rated, Part 2, The Babes of Future Past. We're going to be talking about every single X-Woman depicted in the First Class quadrilogy of movies. So we're going to talk about First Class, we're going to be talking about Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, and Dark Phoenix. All right. You excited? Yeah, I'm excited for everything up until Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Understandable. That was, oof, that was bad. Uh, but she, we did got she a lot even of, try? Did the filmmakers even try? Not not just the actress, but everyone involved, from the writers to the producers to the directors. Man, what a garbage fire. <laughs> exactly. Let's jump right into it, because we got a lot to talk about today. And we're going to start with uh, Emma Frost, a.k.a. the White Queen. Originally, White Queen was in reference to her position in the Hellfire Club, itself based on several organizations referred to by the same name, wherein the upper crust of society would commit debaucherous acts, often of a prurient nature, but included mock religious rituals as well, thus the name Hellfire because they would be burning in hellfire when they died. Frost is basically a dark mirror of Charles Xavier if he were an evil blonde bombshell. Like him, she's a powerful telepath from an old money family who oversaw a school for mutants and a correspondent team, which in Frost's case was the Massachusetts Academy and its resident Hellions. In addition to her status as a teacher and a school administrator, She's also the chairwoman of Frost International and, might I add, a certified sex therapist. I know in what capacity I'd want to get down to business with her. Now, Frost later reformed and went on to teach at the Xavier Institute, where five of her first students and personal mentees were the Stepford Cuckoos, beauteous blonde quintets who, unbeknownst to Emma or anyone else, were just several of many, many, many clones of Emma Frost, created by the same Weapon Plus program that gave Wolverine his adamantium skeleton. And I've got to say, a sevensome with 27-year-old Emma Frost and five 18-year-old clones of hers sounds like the ultimate menage a set. Circa this... Sex clones. <laughs> Sex clones? Yeah, it's just like you clone a person because you're like, God, she's hot. I'm going to clone her so I can have sex with her without actually like doing anything to her. Circa this time, Emma discovered a secondary mutation, which allowed her to switch to an organic diamond form, a la Colossus's organic steel. I can't really see any benefits to this power with respect to her performance in the bedroom. Diamond doesn't exactly strike me as soft and sensual. And, and it seems to have more potential to cinch a phallus than to stimulate it. Of course, her telepathy is an even less attractive power, 
the last thing I want a woman with whom I'm copulating to do is read my mind and see the images of all the other women I'm also thinking about during the act. And that's just some of the least learned of my thoughts. I doubt that there's any adult alive that doesn't have some deep, dark thoughts which they'd rather keep secret than fornicate even with such a pulchritudinous paramour as Miss Frost. Now, Emma has had several trysts, uh, take with Tony Stark uh, and Namor, for example. But her main bow is, of course, Cyclops, a relationship which is often complicated by Jean Grey's annoying habit of resurrecting just when Emma thinks she finally has Scott to herself. They first got together through a psychic affair early on in Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, though never physically consummated their illicit attraction. After Jean died, again, Emma put herself out there, but was promptly shot down by Scott, who then quit the X-Men. Cut ahead 150 years, and Hank McCoy became the literal beast of the Book of Revelation. Then, the entire timeline is so diseased that Jean, upon resurrecting for the umpteenth time, telekinetically reversed the position and velocity of every atom in the entire universe to exactly where they were a century and a half prior, and psychically gave the green light to Psyche, who then proceeded to make out on the grave of his recently deceased wife with the White Queen. Fucking baller. That's how you do it. Power to, to move the universe. Well, yeah. I mean, baller on Gene's part, but I'm saying baller on Scott's part for making out on the grave of his wife who, like, oh, died yeah, days yeah. ago. That's, uh, that's pretty... <laughs> that's, like... It reminds me of, like, Zeus uh, saying, like, okay, fine, you want to have a kid? Okay, we're going to have a kid, but we're going to have a kid right here, right now, on the ground in front of everybody. I mean, and technically, the man just updated his Facebook status to Signal. Like, he wasn't cheating on his wife at all. Like, he buried her. He honored her memory. Even if there's a little overlap, I mean, who among us hasn't made out with a married woman? <laughs> with that, let's, uh, let's move on. So the next person is Clarice Fong Ferguson, a.k.a. Blink. She's a mutant with the ability to teleport herself and others at will. In Days of Future past she is portrayed by fan bing bing um blink was one of the last surviving um mutants on earth when the Sentinels were rounding up all the mutants and exterminating them in a holocaust-like fashion um she along with colossus iceman warpath sunspot kitty pride wolverine professor x storm and magneto are the last mutants left around she's also on the fox television show the gifted which while uh, which we'll be talking about next week. All right, moving on to Moira McTaggart, a former flame and fiance of Charles Xavier. Moira McTaggart was once considered the longest-serving human ally of the X-Men. It was just last year in the series House of X and Powers of Ten that she's outed as an Omega-level mutant, the highest classification of Homo sapiens superior, and one of the most oh, one of the most powerful omegas at that. She has the power of reincarnation, wherein every time she dies, the timeline of the entire Earth 616 Marvel Universe is reset 
to the moment of her conception, wiping out everything that happened in her previous life. But with her remembering every moment of all of her past lives, being the only one to remember uh, any of it, and she does so with perfect eidetic recall, including her time in utero. Like all those nine months for every single one of her lives, she remembers like floating in amniotic fluid. It's kind of fucked up. In her first life, she married a man named Kenneth Cohen. And in her 10th and current life, she wedded an abusive husband named Joseph McTaggart, presumably for the primary purpose of producing Proteus, her son, himself an omega-level mutant, with the power of reality manipulation. Despite such dalliances, it's Xavier to whom she returns time and again throughout her many lives, with the two having been engaged in her current incarnation and still working together intimately into the present day. Fascinating character, Moira. Now, about her character, if she were to die early before she died in, like, say, another timeline, what what would happen? Like, could she live oh, okay. longer or shorter? Yes, she has lived over a thousand years uh, in her sixth life. But, yeah. <laughs> but if she were to die before age 13, when her mutant, manif- uh, mutant power manifests, then that would be her final life. Like, and she couldn't reincarnate ever again after that. So she has to be super careful for first 13 years. And Destiny has already foreseen into the future because she can see all of Moira's future, not just in her current life. And she saw, like, hey, you have 10, maybe 11 lifetimes at most, but you're not going to have any more than that. And so Moira 10, like, that's she's the 10th incarnation of Moira now. No, so this might be it. This might be her last life, lifetime. And, now, and that, that would only be the case if she died before the age of 13. That is correct. Okay. Uh, there's also the possibility of her just never dying, which was going to happen in her sixth life. Like a thousand years into the future, what you had was the phalanx. That were going to, they're like a techno organic uh, hybrid like civilization that basically, like, they convert every single atom into thinking computers. Like, and so they are a civilization that are just computers the size of stars and black holes and like connected through like hyperspace and whatnot. And they were going to assimilate all of the homo sapien nexus or uh, i forget all the post-humans on earth the people that replaced both mankind and mutants uh they were going to assimilate all of earth uh and if that had happened because moira was still alive she just would never die at that point she would have been assimilated and that would have been the last timeline ever possible uh and because they didn't want this future for earth in which human life isn't human life it's fundamentally changed uh, Wolverine, he stabs her like after a thousand years uh, and resets the timeline just like with hours to go before this would have happened. It's really fucking good. Hmm. Oh, uh, they're named Homo sapiens superior. That's mutants. Uh, yeah. The things that uh, replace both mankind and mutant kind, I believe, are Homo sapien nexus. Oh, or, okay. 
Homo sapien postus or eh, I forget. Gotcha. Homo sapien perfectus, maybe. I don't know. There's so many uh, variations of Homo sapiens in comics. Yeah, the the only one I've seen so far is Homo sapien superior. But even that's like, you know, that's something that would uh, I could see Magneto uh, promoting. No, because Magneto, Magneto is a mutant supremacist. And these are the things that come after mutants that like surpass them. So unless Magneto, oh no no, like, I'm saying with the the word uh, mute, uh, Homo sapiens superior, not Homo. I'm sapiens pretty sapiens. sure he coined the term Homo sapiens superior. Ah, uh, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, okay, never mind. All right, want to move on? Yes. So the next one is uh, Jubilation Lee, aka Jubilee. Uh, Jubilee has the mutant ability to project pyrotechnic energy plasmoids from her hands and direct them with her mind. No doubt her strangest romantic pairing was with uh, Timothy Drake, a.k.a. Robin, the boy wonder, during the DC vs. Marvel Comics crossover. The fact that they didn't uh, share a native universe or even a local multiverse made the continuing relationship rather impossible. Yeah, they don't cross over very often, Marvel and DC. Not often Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, and they, they, they... it's not enough to like you know form a, a good relationship. I mean, could you imagine uh, a comic book character from both having a child? Who would they belong to? What what they would literally be the birth? They would be the child of both. You you know Disney would find a way to get ownership of that. <laughs> oh Disney! Oh God! They're like a, a unstoppable force when they get it because like you you want it you want them to do well, but then you see some of the shit they do because. Like Deadpool would be a good example, where they're not—they're um, trying to push for a PG-13 for the next one. Why? Because Fox already showed you can release the same movie twice as an R movie and a PG-13 movie. Yes, it's just—but they want to go for PG-13 because you know Disney is being Disney. See, all these protesters right now—they shouldn't be targeting random like shops and whatnot they should be targeting the six idiots at the mpaa that are censoring art you know to make a distinction between pg-13 and r we shouldn't have a rating system at all it's that it ends up with bullshit like this you know where they try to make deadpool family friendly or at least get a rating that suggests such but yeah just make the movie and whatever is rated it's rated to make to make Deadpool family friendly, that just puts a, a weird taste in my mouth. Like just, it just seems wrong. You know, Deadpool is Deadpool. He's in, irreverent. He's um he doesn't uh, keep the status quo. He's constantly changing things. He's he's pushing the boundaries. Like we need him to like we 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 don't need bland Deadpool. Yeah, we'll be talking all about Deadpool. In the next episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on to Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Shadowcat, a.k.a. Sprite, a.k.a. Ariel. Got a lot of names, that girl. Mm-hmm. Her most notable love interest was, of course, Pyotr Rasputin, a.k.a. Colossus. As has become a recurrent theme for the X-Men comics, mutants refuse to live according to the laws of mankind, including those governing the age of consent. Piotr started dating Kitty when she was still just a kitten. And even though they broke up for a time, 
they later resume their romance when both were adults in Josh Wheaton's astonishing X-Men run. In X-Men The Days of Future Past, the movie, not the comic, uh, she was portrayed by Ellen Page, reprising her role from The Last Stand, a film which gave Bobby Drake yet another beautiful woman who he can't always touch, albeit this time because of her intangibility, which, for the life of me, I can't figure out how that incorporate well into intercourse. But with Ellen Page circa the last stand, I'd put long hours into experimenting to answer that question. <laughs> Many long hours. Keyword, keyword being long. So the next is uh, Allison Blair, a.k.a. Dazzler, who has probably one of the strangest publication histories of any mutant. She was conceived not by any comic writer, but by Casablanca Records, who pitched Marvel on a multimedia cross-promotional collaboration in which a character called Disco Queen would have a comic, film, and record produced concurrently. While the film and record fell through, the character went on to become a uh, mainstay. She has the unimpressive and underwhelming ability to transduce sonic vibrations, which her body turns into various types of light, not unlike the sonoluminescence produced by the punch of a mantis shrimp, which is so powerful that the air cavity it leaves in the water collapses so loudly that the sound converts to light energy, itself hotter than the surface of the sun. True story. Her main squeeze was Longshot, an artificially created humanoid from the alternate dimension known as the Mojoverse, with the ability to favorably manipulate probabilities, granting him preternaturally great good luck, which is doubtless how he got lucky with a gorgeous blonde like Dazzler, who basically is the Taylor Swift or the Carrie Underwood of the Marvel Universe. All right. Elizabeth Betsy Braddock, a.k.a. Psylocke. Betsy is damn near perfect. What wise men call white material. Consider everything she's got going for her. Firstly, she's a British babe, thus sporting the third sexiest accent following Southern Belle and Aussie, respectively. Secondly, she's rich. The Braddocks are every bit as old money as the Tudors and Windsors. Plus, money aside, the Braddocks are a great family to marry into, as you'd have Brian Braddock, a.k.a. Captain Britain, as your brother-in-law. Thirdly, Betsy is going to satisfy the occasional bout of yellow fever, as her complicated relationship with a woman named Quanon, a.k.a. Ravash, means that Psylocke often appears Asian despite her Anglo ancestry. Fourthly, Psylocke has some of the best fashion sensibilities in comics, as her classic blue leotard attests to. During her time with the Uncanny X-Force, she had a fling with the faux French gentleman thief Phantom X, but her longtime love had long been their mutual teammate, Warren Worthington III, a.k.a. Angel, a.k.a. Archangel. Like Emma Frost, both Braddock and Worthington were afforded Hellfire membership on account of their families and their fortunes. In fact, it was the Hellfire Club that Betsy and Warren had one of their first dates at. She stabs him to death, that is, Betsy stabs Warren to death, during their time together on X-Force, but being comics, of course, he doesn't stay dead. All right, 
And that brings us to our next segment, Oh My Starlets and Garters. So let's talk about which of these is the most attractive X-Woman in one of the X-Men sequels. I'm going to give you a list of uh, some possibilities, and then let's talk about them. Sound good, Andy? Sounds great. All right. We got Ellen Page as Kitty Pride, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique, Rose Byrne as Moira McTaggart, January Jones as Emma Frost, Fan Bingbing as Blink, Olivia Moon as Psylocke, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, Lana Condor as Jubilee, and Houston Sage as Dazzler. All right, what do you think of uh, Alan Page as Kitty Pride? Definitely cute, but this picture makes her look like she's an old woman. All right, but you remember what she looked like in that yes. movie, right? Yes, she did. She's very cute. Back when I wasn't seeing movies for free and didn't have a lot of money, like didn't even have a job, I saw X3 twice. Not because it was a good movie. It wasn't. But because I was crushing that hard on 19-year-old Ellen Page. <laughs> I just wanted to see her again, and I couldn't wait for the DVD to come out. Now, now for me, I would I would probably have to say uh, it's a fight between Lana Condor and Halston Sage. Uh, okay, let's go through these uh, in order. Oh, I, yes. I think we have enough to say about all of them. What, what do you think of Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique? Well, I mean, she played a good Mystique character, but I mean, she was attractive when she when she gets into human form. Oh God, she's gorgeous. Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence is beautiful. Um, but I would say, uh, like as a, as a character as Mystique, ugh, I would not want to get with her. Oh, not as Mystique. No, and that's the problem. That's her whole character arc in the movie that she doesn't want to hide in her human, more attractive form as Jennifer Lawrence. She wants to stay blue, and you know she's going to insist on that. Like. If you're going to be intimate with her, it's going to be on her terms as Blue Girl. And nah, that ain't that ain't working. Not with the yellow eyes. Well, I and mean, scales as long, and as long as she turns around and faces the other way, you know, I think that's all that really matters. <laughs> I mean, doggy style is, you know, one option, but you want to have variety in positions, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put a face. And, and you still have the scales that you're going to be dealing with at the top, too. Don't forget I know. that. What, is, what does that feel like? Does she have scales, like, on her lips? Uh, No, not on her lips, but still. Like, I, I'm just wondering, like, like she's got them on her breasts. She's got them on her arms. You know, it looks like she's got a lot on a little happy trail, you know, yeah. going down. She, she doesn't have nipples. She doesn't, see? Now, and as a boob man, I find that to be uh, – she's definitely missing something there. <laughs> makes me wonder. Well, shit. I mean, with something like that, does, she, does that mean she didn't breastfeed um, uh, Nightcrawler? Yeah. Uh, didn't she abandon him, like, right away anyway? <laughs> yeah, she's like a fucking first-time female cat mother. All right. What do you think of Rose Byrne? Well, she's cute. She's definitely hot. Um, we we talk often on this show about like that all natural like beauty yes. like that. Wake up next to her the next morning and she's just as beautiful as when she gets all dolled up. And Rose 
is one of those few that really takes that to the 10th degree. Exactly. Uh, I think she is easily our top contender uh, as of right now. And I say that like as a huge Ellen Page fan. I think Rose eclipses even her. Mm. Uh, as for January, um, I mean, the picture we have probably isn't that great, but she is actually very beautiful. She is, yeah. Uh, and she's got a great body, too. You got to mm. give her that. Oh, yeah. Great hair. I mean, for me, eyes are the most important thing. Uh, and then just the general facial symmetry, uh, you know, clear skin and whatnot. That, like I said, I'm a boob man way more than a ass man. But hair, hair is also really, really important. I have dated women for their hair before. Uh, and, yeah, January Jones, you got to give it to her there. She's got like a, a southern belle kind of like really big hairstyle gorgeous but uh if the only thing like i don't know it's moles on faces that i don't like and she seems to have one right lower right below her uh right nostril still not necessarily a deal breaker i mean look at oh yeah that's true that's true and she has six toes from what i hear wait cindy crawford yeah look it up i think she has six toes Lower my mind. Wait, all together or on one foot? Oh, on one foot. Cindy okay, Crawford. I was going to say, yeah. Well, that's... Six. Yeah, that, that's I, a lot better than all together. I could be wrong. I seriously could be wrong. This could be completely, like... Uh, uh, well, I'll look that up later. What do you think of uh, Fan Bing Bing? Oh, uh, she's beautiful. She's actually really cute, but uh, I think her picture is, is gone now. Uh, yeah, I, I re-googled her. Uh, for me, I, I think we have a, a few, actually, uh, Asian options on our list today. We've got Fan Bing Bing, Olivia Moon, and Lana Condor. And I, I think Fan might actually take it. Wait, for, Olivia Moon? Oh, Olivia not? Munn. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but between the three, let, let, let's have a, a subcategory here. You know, who is the one you're most likely to contract yellow fever from? Oh, uh, Lana. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, what's your ranking then between? The oh, three? Uh, I would probably, I'd probably do Lana, then Olivia, then Fan. Interesting. Okay, I'd probably do Fan Bing Bing. Then Lana Condor, then Olivia Moon. Mm. So, difference of opinion on that one. Yeah. Speaking of Olivia Moon, uh, any thoughts there? Uh, actually, yeah. Have Have you? Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. Um, she's actually she's gorgeous, man. Um, I I think they did like the the the, the overall look is probably good. Um, I honestly don't think she's the best actress. I, I really don't either. I think the problem was you had so many nerves that were just over familiar with her from Attack of the Show. And so they were clamoring for her, you know, only because of familiarity, not because she was the best Asian actress for the role, but just because, like, she already had endeared herself to the nerd audience. And I think they do this way too often. And I think 
Sophie Turner, who we're going to be talking about, is another example of she was in a genre piece, Game of Thrones, and so she got a lot of exposure there. And so even though she's really not all that attractive, she has a lot of guys that like her only as a matter of familiarity. You know, that's one of the things I don't like is the constant like, hey, this person like they posted on Facebook because I, I, I subscribe to those threads and they always say that like this person should play this person on is this comic book character. And I'm like, I, it almost gets me worked up for a second thinking like, oh, that's who they 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 uh, they screened or they uh, they casted. And then you find out, no, it's just some person's idea. And it's like, this is a waste of fucking time. And it's a bad idea because. They haven't really thought about all the possibilities. They just know, I only watch genre shows, and this is the only redhead in all of genre television, so that's the only person I know to suggest. Exactly. So, all right. I think we're both getting worked up on that one. Uh, I, so, I, so, obviously, that's my thoughts on our next uh, one on the list, Sophie Turner, who, yeah, not all that attractive. I Too mean, many she was okay. Yeah, she's okay in Game of Thrones. You know, I don't like her as as this character. She did not play this character well. Oh no, not at all. I I don't think we've had the definitive Jean Grey yet. I think it's coming. Hopefully with the MCU. Oh, you didn't uh, like Bumpy? I I know. I, I don't think Bumpy uh, was all that great either. I I think she was a little too old to play Jean. Uh, a little past her prime. Like I loved her in Goldeneye. Don't get me wrong. As Genia on a top. Wow, one of my first childhood crushes. But 10 years later, by the time they're ready to do X-Men, <coughs> yeah, she was just definitely not right for the role. Mm. So many gorgeous redheads out there. And Jean Grey is supposed to be, like, in a league of her own. So she's supposed to have all these superheroes fighting over which one gets to be with her. And Yeah. There's a... Go ahead. No, you go. Uh, there was a a, co- uh, a guy who was uh, reviewing old comic book uh, the, the the 1990s comic books and stuff, and he was uh, reviewing the cartoons, and he was mentioning that like you know how Jean Grey was just this incompetent character that uh, like if you actually follow the show, they have her doing stupid stuff in the background, like where she falls down in the middle of a combat, like she trips over a rock and something or something. I, like I think that was very deliberate from like the first season and whatnot, because the plan always was introduce like the Dark Phoenix arc, which eventually they did. And so you go from seeing Jean Grey barely able to lift like stones and control them, and that's kind of how she was in her first appearances back in the 1960s, to okay, I can just destroy this planet with a thought. Like, she belies the fact that she is the most powerful. And so for the kids watching the show who hadn't read the comics, you know, because they weren't born when those comics came out, uh, it is just as a surprise to them. Like, oh, wait, I thought this was an almost joke character she's so weak to. Wow, she is uber powerful. So I think that was deliberate and well executed, from what I remember. All right, so we've already talked about Lana Condor as Jubilee. Uh, I think all right casting, like not bad, like not not great, but sufficient. Yeah, I'm not complaining. Yeah, we got one more to go. Halston Sage as Dazzler. Mm. Thoughts there? 
She, I love her lips. I love her. Oh She's got some DSLs. Indeed. Most indeed. She has just got all of her features. Are yeah, her, like her know. eyes, her chin, her her cheeks, her her nose. Like, yeah, everything about her is great. She she was she was on uh, the Orville. She also was on that show. All right. Yeah. She actually uh, she played that character who was from that planet who had the higher gravity. Um, so everything she did was she was strong. She was just like every she like she could literally crush any person on the. She was in charge of security. So and she was like a warp, but she was a gorgeous person. You well, know, I'll warp, say this: warp that higher stronger. gravity did not adversely affect uh, what gravity usually affects here on Earth. With a woman. Uh, it makes me wonder if, if higher gravities, the tits are lower on those animals. Well, I, I'm not seeing any sag in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, she ended up quitting that show because she, uh, I guess she got too famous too quick and she was realizing she was she couldn't handle it. I suspect. Oh, oh wow. That's, that is a shame. She should be in the public spotlight more. She deserves to be famous. So some actresses, they they get to a point where they're just like, oh my god, it's overwhelming. I, I don't know if I can do this. Wow. And all, all right, let's move on to our final segment, the casting couch. We're gonna do a little different today. What singer would you cast to be Dazzler in a modern day multimedia project consisting of an album and a film? Um. Okay. So was it? Hold on. Let's stop for a sec. Was it you that said Taylor or was it me that said Taylor? You said Taylor. I said Okay. Me. Okay. Yeah, so uh, the first one, I'd be Taylor Momsen. She looks like she's just a, a, a party rock girl. She's got the look. She's a singer, you know, so she could easily do it. And I believe she also did some Disney or at least something when she was younger. All right. Um, oh, she was on CW's Gossip Girl. Which is why neither of us were familiar with that. She, But she did play Cindy Lulu in the How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 2000 with um, uh, Jim Carrey. She played the little girl. Oh, wow. That's her. Wow. Because yes, I, I remember it, that movie, and yes. I never would have guessed that. That is a revelation right there. She is that little girl. Oh, oh, Cindy Lulu. No, I, I was thinking of the other little girl actress from that movie, uh, the one that like was friends with the Grinch when he was a kid. Oh, I've never okay. heard of that. No, no, I, I, I thought that maybe that was the actress that grew up to be this girl. I'm like, wow, did not expect her to look like that as an adult. But okay, Cindy Lulu, that makes a little bit more sense. Oh my God, she looks, she looks like she, she could be a, um, uh, Abigail Breslin. Like the older older view, but the younger view, she looks like. Th- this is twenty years later. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah, she's All like right. twenty five. All right. I am going with a singer with whom I am not familiar whatsoever. I've never actually heard any of her music. Uh, her name is Maggie Linderman, and I only know her because back when gyms were open before they all got shut down, uh, I was watching. Uh, Without the audio, because I was listening to something else uh, on my phone and my headphones, but the the treadmill is right before the TVs, and it had like music videos playing. I'm like, my God! Like I, I just got to remember 
whatever band that is and whoever is singing, like, I got to check this girl out. Maggie Linderman, like, she has got, like, such beautiful facial features. She, like, a tiny little bit of a concave, slightly upturned nose, big brown eyes, like, very puckered lips, almost like, you know, permanent duck face, but in a good way. Not like she's posing. It looks like what all the women that do duck face are trying to do with their her, their lips, hers are just, like, naturally like mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, she has just got a, such a great look. Like, big cheeks, like, neotness, uh, almost. Like, that narrow down into a, a, a narrow chin, like... She almost looks like what every Japanese manga artist is trying to draw. Like, she's just that in real life. Like, you dye her hair blonde, she would make a perfect Dazzler. Assuming she can sing, which I assume she can, like, if she was in a music video. Or at least there's auto-tune, so. That is who I'm casting. Thoughts on Maggie Linderman? Uh, Gorgeous. She's very, 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 very hot. Agreed. Um, yeah, she looks. She look, reminds me of like a. Um, I don't know from the from the first picture. She kind of reminds me of a, uh, a Selena Gomez. Right, and, and Selena. Oh my God, one of the most beautiful uh, Latina women of our day. Dude, I wonder who's hitting that. Yeah, I don't really keep up with that kind of stuff, those things. <laughs> which is I, odd, I'm considering the nature of the show. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous, you know? Oh, it's like, that's all I'm trying to say. Indubitably. All right, that is all for this week's episode of the Super Sexy Podcast. Feel free to email us at the address supersexypodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via the handle at SupersexyPod or on the Super Sexy Podcast Facebook page. See y'all. See ya.